folks with OCD, at least my kid and others as well, become anxious about being anxious and become sort of afraid of the experience of anxiety. And that's really what an anxiety disorder is, is I'm afraid of being anxious. Just the idea of being anxious makes me unbearably anxious. And I don't think I can handle being anxious, which isn't true. Welcome to the Beautifully Complex podcast, where I share insights and strategies on parenting neurodivergent kids straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Beautifully Complex. I'm joined today by Brendan Mahan, and we are going to talk about raising a kid who also has OCD and what that experience has been like for Brendan and his family. And hopefully those families who are out there who might be navigating something similar will find some solidarity in you sharing your story and some helpful insights as well. Do you want to start, Brendan, by letting everybody know who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Brendan Mahan. I'm the host of the ADHD Essentials podcast. I'm an ADHD guy. (laughs) So I'm on the organizing committee for the International Conference on ADHD. I'm on the board for the Men's ADHD Support Group. I host the ADHD Essentials podcast. I run parenting groups. I do one-on-one work with folks who have ADHD. And I'm the creator of The Wall of Awful, for those of you who have heard of that. Book is on the way. I started writing it about a month ago. Awesome. Yeah, it's such a good illustrative concept of what our neurodivergent kids often go through. I love it. Where do you want to start with this conversation about OCD? I feel like we need to define it really and let people know kind of what it is and what it isn't. There are a lot of myths out there. I think a lot of people have that very stereotypical idea of OCD, but it could look very differently as well, right? Yeah. So OCD, which stands for obsessive compulsive disorder, is an anxiety disorder. And It basically works with regard to obsessions and compulsions. Like that's sort of the why it's called obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is folks who have OCD, and I'm very aware of how not an OCD expert I am because (laughs) I'm such an expert in ADHD, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I still know more about it than like the average show. Mm -hmm. So The way OCD works is you have obsessive thoughts, you have these intrusive thoughts, right? And a compulsion comes in as a way to relieve those obsessions and those anxious thoughts. So an example might be, I am anxious and having this obsessive thought that someone is going to break into my house. And I alleviate that by checking to make sure that the door is locked, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But not like a neurotypical person might walk through their living room and check to make sure their door is locked every night. Like you might do that, and that's not necessarily OCD. OCD is I check it, and 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 I check it. OCD takes up a lot of time and a lot of energy, both emotional energy and physical energy, because the compulsions become ritualistic. And they just eat up a lot of time because you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And anxiety is such a driver. Right. Yeah. And that, as an ADHD coach, that led to me doing stuff wrong for my kid early on, right? Mm. Because for ADHD, a lot of the stuff that is hard and sort of causing you anxiety 
a lot of that stuff is dumb and you just don't have to do it, right? So there's a lot of accommodation that you can do for ADHD and you're just like, all right, well then don't do that or then do the thing, like however that works with ADHD. But with OCD, if you accommodate those anxious thoughts, they expand. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, cool, I don't have to do that. Well, then if I don't have to do that, I probably shouldn't have to do this other thing either. And that means I can't do this. And it goes from I don't have to to I can't. Like if I do this thing, it's going to overwhelm me and shut me down and, and that kind of stuff. Right. And folks with OCD, at least my kid and others as well, become anxious about being anxious and become sort of afraid yes. of the experience of anxiety. And that's really what an anxiety disorder is, is I'm afraid of being anxious. Just the idea of being anxious makes me unbearably anxious. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I can handle being anxious, which isn't true. So treatment typically focuses on making you anxious and having you confront whatever it is that causes you anxiety so that you can learn how to navigate that. Yeah. So you can sit with it and mm -hmm. move through it instead of trying to avoid. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your story with your son who has OCD? How did that sort of come to be? Because I've known you for a while and I know that things got significantly more intense and required a pretty intensive treatment. Oh, yeah. He was hospitalized for it for three months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wondering how you got to that point and then have been able to move through that. Yeah. So it started the summer before fifth grade was really when we started to see stuff that was not great, right? Both of my kids have had anxiety stuff kind of on and off. We did a little bit of mental health work. We tried our best to navigate it. I'm their dad. I have a lot of skills in this area. So we were able to sort of kick the can for a while. And I have two sons. They're identical twins. Their names are Nathan and Gavin. They're both 14 as of recording. They're freshmen in high school. Mm. School's going really well right now. All is, all is right in our family. Yay. After a <laughs> long road. Mm -hmm. But going all the way back to the summer before fifth grade. So we're like four years ago, a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Pre-COVID? Pre-COVID. Yeah, we'll get to COVID. COVID is okay. going to be a part of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I was asking. Yeah, 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 yeah. So summer before fifth grade, Nate is incredibly anxious and hiding in the bathroom for hours at a time. He refuses to sleep in his bed and is mm -hmm. sleeping on the couch, right? Which is causing Gavin, who shares a bedroom with his brother and loves his brother, their best friends. Gavin's like, what's going on? How come my brother doesn't want to be in the same room with me? We don't really understand what's going on, except that school is causing anxiety for Nate. And we are now in the summer. And so we're heading towards middle school, right? That summer, knowing that school was a little bit anxiety inducing, we sent them to a summer camp that took place at the middle school that they were about to enter because middle school is mm -hmm. five and six and then seven and eight. We have two different middle schools in my town. So we're like, let's check out the school. You can go to this program. And I knew that the director of the program was a phenomenal guidance counselor in our town. So I'm like, this will be great. Not great. Mm -hmm. Nate gets in trouble for like, not exactly fights, but they did like an improv thing. And some kid got in his face and was like barking in his face as part of the improv thing and like swinging his arms at Nate. Just all sort of pantomime stuff. But right. Nate was already at like a seven on the anxiety scale, right? Mm -hmm. So Nate literally took this kid down and started stomping on him, like just in a, in a fight response. Luckily, the guidance counselor who runs the camp is like, this is a kid who's really anxious. We're not going to be upset with this. Like the kid, that other kid didn't really get hurt. It's not a big deal. He wasn't stomping on him like to break any bones or anything. He was just like getting out of there pretty quick. 
And uh, so he doesn't get kicked out of camp, but he does have to go home that day. There was another incident when they were playing with squirt guns that they were not supposed to be playing with. Some kids, Nate, I don't think had a squirt gun, but some kids started squirting Nate with a squirt gun and Nate slapped the gun out of his hand. So my kid is not like a thug fighter kid, but he's so anxious that he's hitting the fight response and fight, flight and freeze pretty quickly. He also had a moment at lunch where he was trying to talk to the teachers about something and they weren't paying attention to him. So he just threw his whole lunchbox away, knowing that that would get the teacher's attention. And sure enough, that got their attention. Mm. And then he got what he needed. He was at this time and sort of in fourth grade, just before this fifth grade, this summer before fifth grade, he was starting to get the lesson that the only way to get the attention of adults in school was to misbehave, was to do something not appropriate. Mm. Because every time he tried to interact with adults in an appropriate way to get his needs met, they didn't respond in a way that was useful. But when he behaved in a way that was negative, then he got his needs met because then he got the attention he needed in order to get the need met which was not a great lesson for him to have. And we've worked through that. Yeah. And he, he's not a bad kid. Like I'm always getting compliments on how good my kids are. But there was a window there where he was sort of taking the wrong steps to get attention, except that they were the right steps to get attention because they were the ones that worked. Right. And the proper ways to get this attention wasn't working. And I share that piece of the story just in case that's your kid. Yeah. Like if your kid is constantly getting in trouble, maybe wonder if that's the only way they can get their needs met. And what does that mean, right? How do we navigate that? Luckily, I am who I am. And I just say that to teachers. And I'm like, this is what's going on. Like, Y'all can do better, but my kid is doing it right, except that you don't like how he's doing it. Our kids fall through the cracks so often. Right. And so they do sometimes have to really be the squeaky wheel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes that's very negative. Yeah. And so summer before fifth grade is really hard. I had a kid in crisis and probably could have called like a crisis unit and had him taken to the hospital or something. But I didn't want to do that because I didn't know enough about how those programs worked in my area. And those programs are not always great. Yeah. And I didn't want to take the risk, particularly because we didn't know what was going on yet. And because I had the skills to navigate my kid in crisis. It took a long time, but I was able to navigate it. And a lot of that was me under responding to what he was doing. And I I use that phrase intentionally here. I don't want it to come across like I wasn't caring and wasn't engaging with him. But what I mean when I say I was under responding is I was not getting anxious and angry and I wasn't losing it over him hiding in the bathroom or having these struggles. I wasn't taking it personally. Yeah, There were times when I got really overwhelmed that I absolutely at one point said to him, like, I don't really understand what's going on. If you need me to make you more afraid of me than you are of whatever is keeping you in this bathroom, I can do that, but I don't want to. And in that moment, I understood why parents lose their temper with their kids that are struggling. Yeah. Like a lot of the time, it's I have reached the limit of my skills and all I have left is yelling and being scary. And hopefully me yelling and being scary will be more scary to you than whatever the thing is that is scaring you into doing what isn't working, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I'm going to say, luckily, I am who I am a bunch in this interview because yeah. it's a <laughs> massive through line for this experience in my life. Mm-hmm. I was uniquely skilled to be able to navigate this. I still made mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes, but I was also uniquely skilled as a parent to navigate this stuff. Yeah. And he was like, that's not a plan. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not, I don't really want to be yelling at you and losing my mind. So I didn't. We navigated this bathroom moment. And like little things happened. Like I went down to the bathroom one day just because I had to go to the bathroom and he wasn't in there at the time. 
And I noticed that there was something behind the curtain. And so I moved the curtain and it's an iPad. Mm. And he's in the bathroom at like late at night, right? And I'm like, this is not a plan. Like, I don't want him to just be on the iPad in here. And I could have confronted him about that and made it a big deal. But instead, I went and grabbed a really thick graphic novel. It was Spider-Man Enter the Spider into the Spider-Verse, or just might just be Spider-Verse. And I just replaced the iPad with that graphic novel and went about my day. And then later on that night, sure enough, Nate's in the bathroom hiding. And I go in. He's not going to the bathroom. He's just in there because it felt safe to him. Mm -hmm. And I go in there. And he's on the floor reading this graphic novel, right? There's no conflict. Mm -hmm. There's no battle. It's just he got my message. He received my message. We moved on. Yeah. So I kept trying to meet him where he was as best I could. And a refrain that came up at the time was I would say to him, look, bud, if you can run, if you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. And if you can't crawl, I will carry you until you can crawl again and then I'll put you down because mm. there's dignity and struggle and like, it's okay to crawl. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm here for you. I've got your back no matter what. And it was just this constant refrain of like, I love you no matter what. Unconditional positive regard, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually we get him out of the bathroom. He goes to school. When school comes home, there's some anxiety. There's some tension. We got to the point where he wouldn't sit at the kitchen table except to do homework. He would only sit there to do homework. Other than that, he wouldn't sit there because it was like contaminated by school. And then he wouldn't sit on the couch. We didn't really understand why. Turns out a towel from school wound up on that couch at one point. So now the couch is contaminated too. He would not walk around the streets of our neighborhood because the school bus drove on the streets of our neighborhood. Mm. So now we're starting to see obsessive compulsive stuff, right? Yeah. What Nate has is called emotional contagion obsessive compulsive disorder. Contagion OCD is I am afraid of germs. Right. And I'm going to try to avoid getting infected by germs, right? Emotional contagion is pull germs out and plug in like anything just about, right? So you could plug in dogs and anything that might be connected to a dog, this kid's going to want to avoid. For my kid, his contagion was his elementary school. So middle school is connected in spirit, if not directly. The roads are infected, contaminated because the school bus drives on them. We ended up having to stop going to Boy Scouts because once they went on a field trip to the church that the Boy Scouts meeting happened at. And so he couldn't handle going to that church. On a note of healing, we were at that church yesterday. We were in the graveyard behind it for some Halloween events. Yay. And he went and it was fine. Like nothing big deal at all, right? Totally cool. Awesome. But that's because we're on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. So circling back to the horrible challenges that we faced as a family. Nate goes to middle school in fifth grade. There's anxiety. It's hard, but he's able to handle it, right? He's doing okay. It is difficult, but he's doing okay. That Halloween, we kind of bought back a street because I was like, if you want to go trick-or-treating, you got to walk on this road. Mm. And he was like, I'll just hand out candy then. And I was like, no, you're going trick-or-treating with your friends. You just have to take one road in our neighborhood back so you can get out to the part that's not contaminated in your mind and then just trick-or-treat over there. So we got back one road at the time. And then fifth grade, March, COVID hits. And now he's coming home and... Like school is home basically for the rest of the year. They're at home. Yeah. And we're having some stuff like brushing teeth is taking longer than it needs to. He's washing his hands more than he used to. That kind of stuff. It's starting to build up. And then in six, for sixth grade, I had to make the decision. Like, what are we doing about school? How are we going to handle school? At the time, we didn't have vaccines. We didn't really know what was going on with COVID. We didn't have a clear understanding of it. 
So my decision with the blessing of my wife, although she didn't love the idea, was that I would homeschool my kids for sixth grade. The factors that went into that were, I knew even if it was hybrid, school was still going to suddenly come home with no predictability. Yeah. And that I was going to be impacted by that because school was dictating the schedule. Like, this is when the thing is due. This is when you have to do that and this and that. And I couldn't always get my kids to meet those schedules when I was doing it for fifth grade, right? Right. I also knew that in fifth grade, what they were taught was not that great. It was like thoroughly okay. And I knew that I am licensed to teach and have taught English and history at the middle school level, specifically sixth grade. So I was like, I already have the curriculum for sixth grade, the grade they're going into. Like I have all my old stuff from when I taught. So it's sort of a straight line. And I also knew that when school came home, everything got a lot harder. Yeah. And that school would be coming home when things were virtual. And if it was hybrid, it would sometimes be coming home with lack of predictability. So I was like, if I'm homeschooling them, it's not school coming home because school is home. So I decided to homeschool. My business took a ton of hits. My business like really, really shrank over the course of this process. Yeah. And this was the beginning of the shrinking. But I had the luxury of being able to do that. Like my wife has a job that can mostly cover us financially. So we were lucky in that regard. At least it could cover us back then. With inflation, it's not really covering as well. And I have (laughs) to be making money. But back then, like we could float on her salary alone. And so I homeschool them. And my business is like in the, I wake up, meet with clients from like eight o'clock to 10 o'clock. Then I teach my kids. And then I might've had like a four o'clock, five o'clock client. And then we'd be done for the night with only a few interruptions. And then every Saturday I'm doing my podcast. I was out straight. I was working really, really hard. Yeah. That's like all day long. It's like 8 a.m. client, 9 a.m. client, kids until four. And it's homeschooling. It's not like we're hanging out, like we're doing work. Yeah. And then with a couple interruptions for parent groups. And then four o'clock, five o'clock, straight to six o'clock. I haven't stopped yet. There were plenty of days when I wasn't really even, even eating lunch and stuff. Usually I got breakfast and dinner. And then all day Saturday is my podcast. With the idea, though, that we're going to get back to school in seventh grade. Right. At the same time, my kids have mental health clinicians. Both of them are having anxiety stuff. Nate, we know, has OCD at this point. I leveraged my podcast. I interviewed the president of the International OCD Foundation pretty much just to get a referral. It worked. We got referred to one of the best OCD clinicians in the world. Her name is Denise. She's great. And then that led to him getting better and things going fine and like, okay, cool. We're good. We go back for seventh grade. We're going to go back to school. We're trying to navigate this. They go back to school. They're wearing masks. They're really anxious. Nate's OCD is starting to get a little bit worse here and there, here and there. The masks especially are concerning. Both of my kids are like putting their hands on their masks all the time and constantly messing with their masks and like Mm -hmm. hiding in their coats and shying away from people and trying to avoid being in the hallway and all this stuff. So it's as much anxiety about COVID and getting infected as it is about Nate's OCD in school. And Nate's super anxious about school, which is, of course, making Gavin anxious about school. Mm -hmm. Gavin's got pointed more at COVID. Nate's was more at school. Nate, during seventh grade, didn't eat lunch for like three months, two or three months, just Mm -hmm. didn't eat lunch. Because if he ate lunch at school, he was in his head eating the contamination of school. And that means he could never be clean as far as he was concerned. Mm. So he didn't eat lunch. Consequently, he is two inches shorter than his identical twin brother and has had some like delays on puberty. Wow. Um, We're working on it. We're meeting with an endocrinologist on Monday, in fact, which is (laughs) like the third visit. 
but that's a consequence, right? Like just not yeah. eating lunch at that critical time of seventh grade. He's like thir- 12, 13 years old. Yeah, 12, I guess 12 years old. And so everything progresses and gets harder and harder. You can really tell from my podcast. My podcast publishes weekly, Yeah. right? And you and I had this conversation. You were like, how are you so consistent on your show? <laughs> like you just post weekly all the time. I posted weekly for like four years and then it just tanks. All of a sudden it's gone, right? There's all of a sudden these huge gaps because- Life happens. Nate mattered more mm-hmm. and navigating Nate just mattered more. And that was all there was to it. Yeah. So Nate spiked huge in February of 2022. It's 2023 right now. Mm-hmm. February, 2022, he has this massive spike and the OCD starts getting worse. He's standing at the kitchen sink, washing his hands for 40 minutes at a time, crying because he doesn't want to be washing his hands. He doesn't want to do that, but he has to, right? Mm. Suave Ocean Breeze soap was the only soap he could use to be clean. We would literally clear out CVSs in our town and and the surrounding towns. There was a period where he was going through three and four bottles a day. It got so bad that he had chemical burns all over his arms and legs just because he was showering with it too, taking showers that were way too long. His hands were all cracked, dry skin, burning skin. We, we tried to moisturize him and it would just hurt. Poor kiddo. And so things are getting worse and worse. At the same time, because nothing is ever easy, nothing is ever straightforward. Right before he spiked, my wife worked for a company that got purchased by a larger corporation she was vested, so she got all of her stock options came in, and we got this load of money. So all we want to do since we moved into our house 15 years ago was redo the kitchen. So we're going to redo the kitchen because it was awful, right? Our neighbor across the street is our contractor. He's a buddy. He literally lives across the street from us. So we placed the order for the kitchen, and then, I don't know, a month later, because you've got to wait for these things, especially with COVID mm-hmm. at the time. About a month later, Nate spikes. Nate is deep in this spike. When we get a call from Jimmy, our neighbor, or I do, and he's like, Brendan, good news. Your kitchen is ready. I cleared all of next week to come and do it. And I'm just like, we, we can't, but we have to. Like, there's no, there's nothing good about this because all it's going to do is spread that contamination all over our house. Yeah. We are in line at this point because we went back to working with Denise. We're in line to go to McLean Hospital and get Nate the support that he needs, but we're not. It's like, a, that's a waiting list too. Our living room was all cabinets for a while. Our refrigerator was in our living room for I don't know how long. Yeah. The contamination that was in, like, mostly we kept it contained in our den. There was one little corner that was school contaminated corner and everything else was okay. But then that gets spread because there's like boards and power tools and stuff that are touching that rug that is contaminated. And that Mm. means wherever the cord goes is contaminated and it's spreading for Nate, right? Yeah. And it's also, that's the way they come into the house. They walk through the kitchen to then take a shower because at the time it was like they would come home from school. They'd come in the house. Gavin would shower. Nate would stand on that rug until Gavin was done showering. And then Nate would go and shower. And now they're clean and they can go about their day and they're not contaminating the rest of the house. We, for a while, had school clothes and home clothes. So like whatever Nate was wearing to school, he would not wear in the house. Right or wear anywhere else, which meant we had two winter coats. We had two pairs of boots. We had two pairs of sneakers or really four because both of our, like Gavin had to do it too, even though he doesn't have OCD, but Nate was insistent. Yeah. So four winter coats, four pairs of boots. Everything is already doubled in our house because we have twins. Now it's quadrupled, right? Yeah. Like it's surprising how expensive it gets too, Mm -hmm. as well as the time commitments. And so 
now things are worse, right? Now we're spiked and the, the showers after school are taking like two and three hours. Wow. It's just, it's unbearable how long all this is taking. And eventually the kitchen is finished and yay and school ends and we go on to summer vacation. And that gave us a huge relief. A lot of the pressure dropped then. And then that July, Nate got into McLean Hospital and he was in McLean from July through October. Actually, this Thursday, so two days from us recording is one year of Nate being home. So we're going to go out to eat and celebrate. I have my kid back. Like I've got my kid back. It's great. That's amazing. It was a really, really, really hard road. My episode 250 of my show is my family and I sitting on the couch telling this story from all of our perspectives. And they got, we go into more detail on what that experience was like. But it, it was brutal. It was such a challenging period of my life. Of course. And I did stuff wrong. Like I yelled at my kid more than I've yelled at anybody. If you take everyone I've ever yelled at in my life and squish them all together, I yelled at Nate more in like a two-month span than I did at all those other people. And some of that is I'm not really a yeller. But I was overwhelmed. I was at my limits of my skills as a dad. Watching it, it feels so irrational, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I have anxiety. I have kids with anxiety. And at times when you're not anxious, their anxiety feels so irrational. You just want to help them so badly to push through and get past it that we end up going about that in ways that we wish we didn't. Right. And from my yelling thing, my one, my little yelling phase there, it was when Nate was at his peak spike, Mm -hmm. right? So things are really stressful anyway. I'm watching my business die on the vine. And we have a kitchen that's a train wreck and like our fridge is in our living room, like I said. and, And there's a limit to what we can even do in our house. And my kid who used to be able to do these things suddenly can't. Yeah. Like now he can't get out of the shower in a reasonable amount of time or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what put me over the edge was I ended up, Amy tried to help. My wife's name is Amy. Amy tried to help me help Nate, right? So I'm trying to help Nate get out of the shower. Amy's trying to help me. And I ended up yelling at Amy. For some reason, that was the moment that I saw myself from the outside and was like, this is not who I am, let alone who I want to be. I got to fix this. And I know how, because I teach parents how to not do this. Right. So I literally sat down on, I went into the bedroom right next to the bathroom, the guest room, sat on the bed and went through my slides for my parent groups in my head and was like, the answer is here. I got to the second slide Mm. and was like, everyone is doing the best they can. Everyone wants to do well. Your kid wants to please you. And I was like, that's what I'm doing wrong. And I just went back into the bathroom and apologized to Nate. And I was like, look, I'm doing this wrong. And I'm asking you to do things that you just can't do right now because you're so anxious that it's affecting your executive functions. We talk like that in my family. And it's making it harder for you to do stuff that you used to be able to do. And I was also anxious and it was affecting my executive Mm -hmm. functions and my ability to do the things that I know how to do. And it's not going to happen anymore. Like as the parent, it's my job to help you. It's not your job to like meet my unreasonable demands. So just to let you know, like, I'm going to meet you where you are and I'm going to change what I'm asking of you and I'm going to be more patient and I'm not, we're not fighting anymore. I'm not yelling at you anymore. And he was like, okay. And I was like, cool. And we have not banged heads since. Wow. Like, that was the end of that. It just yeah. didn't happen anymore because I decided. And I also knew that I was doing it wrong and why. And I just proceeded to meet him where he was and we moved on. And it wasn't easy, but we got to where we needed to be once McLean happened. And I can remember days when he was like, dad, I can't wait till I can go to the hospital. I, mm. I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be standing at the kitchen sink 
washing my hands for 40 minutes. Right. And his hands were chapped, like his whole hands. And I'm just imagining like all the emotions that you as a parent are going through, mm-hmm. watching your kids struggle, not being able to help, mm-hmm. right? Not at least to the level that you wanted to be able to help him. Right. And then having to contemplate hospitalization, which is such a difficult decision for parents. There was just so much extra on your plate Mm -hmm. that was also going into this because we're human beings, right? And so trying to navigate your own emotions and not having that creep into what is happening with your kid and, you know, not spewing it all over them sometimes just isn't possible. Yeah. Which is what was happening, right? Right. Absolutely. And two kind of pieces to that. I'll start with the one that's a little bit easier and quicker. I had no issues with bringing Nate into the hospital. That was not a thing that I even batted an eye about. And I bring that up because if parents don't feel like that's a hard choice, it's okay to not feel like that's a hard choice. Mm -hmm. And here's why it wasn't a hard choice. One, I trusted Denise. And I still trust Denise, his clinician. Right. I knew that Denise had helped to write McLean's curriculum. That's the tier of person I was able to get. She helped write McLean's curriculum. Also, we were able to tour McLean. We were able to go and look at Mm. it because it's only an hour from my house, thankfully, right? That helps. And I am a former summer camp counselor, former principal, former middle school teacher, former guidance counselor, licensed in teaching and guidance counseling, former mental health clinician. So I'm steeped in what's good for kids and mental health and education and those right. and camps and stuff, right? So when I toured McLean, I was doing it with all of that prior knowledge. So I knew what I was seeing when I saw signs on doors that kids had made and like how the kids are interacting and what they were doing in the hallways and stuff. Like I was able to read the vibe of that place pretty deeply, right. much more than most parents. And I was not walking through it as an anxious parent. I was walking through it as a professional Mm -hmm. and looking at it. And so that helped, right? And I can't speak to any other program, but I can tell you if you're on in line for McLean, have no hesitancy. That place is awesome. It's amazing. And I bring that up because we often say like, that's such a hard decision for parents. Mm -hmm. And I just want to be the other side of that. And like, it doesn't have to be a hard decision. Like you don't have to put a lot of pressure on it. If you know that you need this support and you need this help, which we certainly did. Right. So there's that. And then the other piece to this is something that is like its own topic kind of in all of this. And we don't have to go there because we're talking about OCD. But at the same time that all of this was going on, my dad is going through cancer treatment. Right. (laughs) Um, So I also had this sandwich generation thing happening for me. Yeah. Where like that homeschooling thing in sixth grade and now the boys are going into seventh grade to go and go back to school. And I was like, oh, finally, like I can breathe, have some relief. Like I can get some of my life back, right? Professionally, I can get some of my ADHD professional life back. Right. And then my sisters, both are teachers. And my sister, Lauren, who was taking my dad to his cancer treatments every Friday was like, "Uh, Brendan, I can't, like, you got to take over dad's cancer treatments because you're the one who can control his schedule and D and I can't. So all of a sudden I have four days that I can work during because my entire Friday is taken up driving to my dad, picking him up, driving him to cancer treatment, which takes forever, driving him home and then driving back to my house, right? So there goes Friday. I'm down to four days. And then in short order, I'm picking Nate and Gavin up from school because Nate can't handle going on the bus. 
So now my regular days are ending at like 2.30, 3 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Which means now I'm working maybe 30 hours a week I'm getting in. And with ADHD, it's more like 20. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, these dreams I had of like rebuilding my business die on the vine. It was probably 20 hours a week because I lost all of Friday. So it was like 20 hours, maybe 15. Now my business is again a part-time job, yeah. which it's supposed to be a full-time job again. And so I'm navigating that stuff. And then that eventually led to like my dad had some alcohol issues, which made things even less predictable because all of a sudden it's like, no, we just have to take dad to the hospital tomorrow. And I, I can't take on new clients because I don't know when I'm going to have to take my dad to the hospital and this kind of stuff. So, and that's in addition to like what's going on with Nate. The only reason I stopped taking my dad to cancer treatments was because I just couldn't anymore. And I had to call my sisters and go, Nate's OCD is overwhelming and I just can't. Yeah. And they had no idea because OCD is also incredibly isolating. Yeah. Because it eats up so much time. And they're, if we invite someone over, are they going to somehow do something that will cause Nate to be unwilling to go to some part of the house because that kid spread contamination, mm. which happened. Nate couldn't handle middle school clothing. Like if someone came over with a sweatshirt on from his middle school, it would cause a lot of problems wow. that he would try to hide and cover up. And how do you say like your kid is welcome to come over and hang out in the backyard because it's COVID, but they can't wear their sweatshirt from the middle school. Right. So like some of the families we could do that with and some of them we didn't. And I always did it behind Nate's back. And there were some kids that we just couldn't invite over anymore because they always had middle school stuff on. Wow. And like of all the reasons to not have that person be a close friend anymore, but that happened. So OCD is an incredibly debilitating disorder. Yeah. And there it can be treated like Nate is no longer, our family's no longer debilitated, but you've got to be willing to get help and to accept help. And folks with OCD are not always willing to. So yeah. I, don't, I feel like I should let you ask a question because I've been babbling a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, just sharing your story can be so powerful for other families who are going through it. And, you know, you had like everything in the world happening at one time and could have hit your own breaking point, you know, and somehow you were able to push through and navigate and get back to a good place. And I think, you know, there's so much hope in the story that you're telling partly because you're telling it now. Mm -hmm. So now you're on the other side, you've been through it, and you can get to a better place. And I think that's, you know, part of the message of you telling your story is that you are illustrating that things can be really, really, really challenging and overwhelming, and you can get to a better place. Things can get better. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, I think that part of your background helped you to be able probably to be a little more hopeful and optimistic in the midst of that, where maybe some other parents aren't able as much to do that. But you have that background and training in mental health, that I think, helped you to remain more calm, even though it was still a challenge at times. Yeah. But I think, you know, you're illustrating above all else to me that you can go to the depths and you can make it through that and things can get better. Right. Yeah. And honestly, I think COVID helped in some ways mm. because one of the things that happened for me with COVID was I was like, we're all stuck in the house together. Mm -hmm. All of us, like as a, as a world, right? Not just my family. Yeah. And in, initially in COVID, like people were looking to me because of who I am and my podcast and my, the role I play in, in some 
circles with ADHD and stuff, folks were looking to me for like, what do we do? Like, you're a parent guy, you're a neurodiverse guy, like, how do we handle this? And so I had to think about that. And I was like, we got to prioritize relationships and connection over all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And that bled into Nate's crisis. And it led to conflict between me and my wife. Because Amy was like, the way to treat this is to just make him do the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, but if we force him to do this stuff that is totally overwhelming and shutting him down before he can buy into resisting the OCD, we're going to destroy our relationship with our kid because we're going to constantly be making him feel unsafe and like he can't trust us. And it's not, I think it's going to work to our detriment. In the short term, it may or may not work because we're not clinicians. Right. But in the long term, I think it's going to undermine our relationship mm -hmm. and make things a lot harder. I may or may not have been right about that. But my wife went with that lens and was like, okay, like I'm willing to let you take point on this. I don't agree with you, but this is kind of on you, right? Was sort of how it landed. And thankfully it worked. It took a longer and it was a lot harder than it maybe needed to be. But I don't even know that it was harder. I think it would it was just different hard. Yeah. If we were always fighting with Nate about like doing his laundry, because at one point the laundry machines got contaminated and he didn't want to do his laundry. Mm. Like it would have been stressful in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Even that stuff, like there was a lot of stuff Nate wouldn't do that Gavin ended up doing. And Gavin carried a lot of the labor for Nate. And it looks like he's trying to avoid these tasks, but he's not. It's OCD that's keeping him from doing the thing. Yeah, I'm 100% camp relationship first. Right. I mean, that that was just the way that I went. Like, that's because that's kind of mm -hmm. my philosophy. Yeah. And thankfully, that helped him feel safe and helped him buy in in the long run. It worked. But it also, speaking of relationships, like this impacted my relationship with Gavin. Of course. Because I was point on Nate. So for however many months, six, seven months, I didn't really see Gavin. We didn't hang out much. Yeah. Amy spent a lot of time with Gavin, but I didn't because I was constantly trying to help Nate navigate his OCD mm -hmm. to the point that when Nate went into the hospital over the summer, I made it a point to hang out with Gavin. I did not go, it's the summer. Now I can rebuild my business now. Instead, I was like, the business can wait through the summer so that I can have time with Gavin. I still did some stuff, but I didn't put a lot of effort in yeah. so that Gavin and I could go like to the beach and do stuff. And it was good because we got to hang out and we got to reconnect and that, that was useful. But it was still really tricky. And staying with Gavin and my relationship with him, you said that like I kind of made it without hitting a breaking point. I totally hit a breaking point. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an important story. And it's kind of a guy story. I think that this might ring true for some dads out there. This was before everything got really bad. Things are still bad and confusing. And I'm like, I don't know why I can't help my kid. And it's because I'm an ADHD expert, not an OCD expert, but I didn't, wasn't getting that part yet. Yeah. I think it was the summer before fifth grade. I just like broke down one morning. Like I was just like, I, I don't know how to help my kid. And it was especially hard for me because my identity is wrapped up in helping kids. I've been a teacher. I've been a summer camp counselor. I've right. coached parents. I've worked with kids. Like I'm the guy who helps the kid. And now I can't help my own kid. And I just, one morning I was totally overwhelmed. Whatever was happening that morning, I don't remember. And I ended up like kind of crumpling onto a ball on the floor and crying in front of my entire family, right? Because I was so overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And like that led to Gavin going, I will never have a problem ever. 
because I don't want to do that to my dad. Mm. I don't want my dad to ever have to not be able to handle it. Right. Mm. Which meant I was like, okay, cool. I can never break again. Like I have to coach Gavin on being willing to have problems and need support, but toxically, paradoxically, I can never have problems and need support, at least not in front of my kids. Right. Like I can never, that can never happen again. I can never hit the point where I'm overwhelmed and it's too much, even temporarily. Right. And that's what men, a lot of men are in that camp of like, I'm not allowed to break. Like that's not a thing that we get to do. And I was trying to go with like, it's okay to model healthy emotional responses, even if they're really hard ones, like real emotional responses are okay, as opposed to like toxic button up. Right. But that was not a plan. It didn't work for Gavin and Gavin. We're still working on that with Gavin and undoing that. It's not just that moment that kind of has Gavin so tightly wound. It's also everything with his brother and all the trauma that he witnessed for Mm -hmm. like three years, but that's a component to it. And I have to carry that. And that led to like a moment in the bathroom with my wife where Nate is now out of the hospital. Gavin is having all kinds of trauma responses because like Mm. of what was like Nate came home. Everything is safe. Now it's Gavin's turn kind of a thing. There's space for him to fall apart. Right, right. So now he's falling apart, yeah. In some big ways, in some pretty big ways that he typically does not want me to talk about. So I'm not going to bring it up. I'm thinking of every story that I could tell. And I'm like, nope, he's on my show. He was like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. So I'm like, I'll call all all that stuff confidential then. Yeah. And at the same time, my dad is now like sick enough heavily due to alcohol consumption as opposed to just sickness. Although he had CPOD, blood cancer, multiple myeloma, kidney failure, heart failure, and at the time, a broken leg and a broken knee. Wow. So like, apparently I come from hearty stock because that's a lot and he's not dead. Wow. Right. And also was drinking to sort of navigate this stuff to the point where his body lost its ability to process thiamine. So his muscles were atrophying. Mm. I didn't know alcohol could do that, but apparently it can. It takes a lot of alcohol to do that. So I went to my dad to take him to the hospital. And on a regular basis, he can't leave the house because he's physically unable to get down his stairs safely. Mm. Right? Like, I guess we're not leaving. So now I'm losing days for a kind of no reason. Like in my head, I'm like, but dad needs company and me being here is helping him and that kind of stuff. But also like, there's things I really needed to be doing at the time that I wasn't doing. And there was one day I went to my dad, didn't take him to the doctors because he couldn't leave the house. And on my way home, got a call from school that was like, Gavin's having some stuff. You got to come help. Right. And so I am helping Gavin all in one day. And I was in the bathroom one day and Amy's like talking to me about how like, there's just a lot going on. I'm like, it's fine. I can carry it. Like, it's fine. I can carry it and carry it. And that day she said, yeah, my whole world is falling apart, but I can carry it and it's fine. Sure. Okay. And she stormed out of the bathroom mm-hmm. and I needed her to snap on me like that. Cause I wasn't, I was like not seeing where I was, yeah. right? Like, of course I can't carry all this. Of course I can't. But what choice do I have? Like, like mm-hmm. I kind of have to, right? And so I did my best and everything like we're in a much better place now. The boys started high school smoothly. Everything is going swimmingly. Nate's having like he's behind in some classes, but whatever, like that's not a big deal. Gavin is not the most social kid. I wish he was more inclined to talk to other kids. He's really introverted, but whatever, we'll get that. We'll, we'll navigate that too. Um, at, we're at the point now where we are no longer healing. We're growing. 
Like we've entered growth stuff instead of healing stuff. Awesome. And that is nice because growth can have a longer timeline than healing can, mm -hmm. at least in my head. Like yeah. healing, you got to kind of keep moving forward and you don't want to backslide and you want to like get through it with some degree of speed if you can. But growth, like if you plateau for a little while, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And I can look at the longer timeline that way. Yeah. You need time just to be. So yeah. So I'm, I'm really proud of both of them. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Everybody's really been through it in your family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were able to get through it. Yeah. Not without incident, right? Because we're human beings, but, mm -hmm. you know, you made it. And I think that, you know, your boys saw that you're a human being also, you know, so often we as parents think that we're supposed to be perfect in front of our kids. But it sets a bar that they can't attain. Yeah. And really, it's just detrimental, in my opinion. So, you know, they need to see that we're human beings and that we uh, sometimes can't manage our emotions either. But we get through it. We figure it out. We keep going. And I think that's, you know, one of the best examples that we can give. I thank you so much, Brendan, for sharing your story. I know how difficult it can be sometimes to be really open and transparent with what's going on in your life. And I also know how empowering it is for those who listen and hear that story. And I think that's why we both do what we do and why we're both so open about our own parenting journeys and our kids as well. Those of our kids who allow us to share because I have one who also doesn't. And we respect that. So <laughs> that's just where we are. Yeah. But I thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I will put in the show notes for everyone links to your podcast. I've made a note to make sure we link up episode 250 for people who want to hear the whole family talk about the experience. And I should add, that was the boy's idea. It was Nathan and Gavin's idea to do that. It was not no pressure mm, from me at all. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Some of that is like the 50 episodes often involve them. So it was like 250 was coming and they were like, that sometimes we do at number 50 episode. Can we do this? But it was not my plan. I was not going to even ask. They brought it up. So. Yeah, that's amazing. They, I think, have learned from you how to be a helper in the world yeah. <laughs> by sharing what they're going through. Show notes are at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 240 for episode 240. I just want to thank you again, Brendan. I always learn so much in talking to you and appreciate our collaboration in, in the neurodivergent world. Yeah. And I will see everybody in the next episode. Thanks for joining me on the Beautifully Complex podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses and parent coaching at parentingadhdandautism.com and at thebehaviorrevolution.com.